Boy, there's so much there. I half want to preach that truth. Okay, Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at 19 through 31. Big passage. Probably too much here. All right. Acts 9, verse 19. Hear God's holy word. He, Saul, took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and they were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called upon this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. But when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. By their plot, But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night, and they led him down through an opening in the wall. They lowered him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took a hold of him, brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he had talked to him, (coughs) and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. And when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea, and they sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, we, this is your day, we are your people, and this word is the way in which you have determined to bring us to you, Jesus Christ, and then as well to conform us into your holy image. We pray that you would have mercy upon me, I would preach the word according to what's true, both the content and even my delivery, it would please you and be beneficial to your people, and for all of us, that we would live on every single word that proceeds out of your mouth, to your glory, Lord, to our own edification. We pray it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I hear an amen back there. Out of the mouth of little ones. The context of what we just read, which is the work of of the Apostle Paul, is summarized in two verses that we looked at last week, and it's worth me reading them again. Acts 9, if you have your Bible open, 15 and 16. But the Lord Jesus said to him, that's Ananias, to go and tell Saul Paul, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So the scheme for Paul, I know it's Saul, but I call him Paul. So Saul Paul, Paul. The The scheme is that he is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ commissions Paul into uh, preaching ministry. He's an apostle. He's a witness. The Greek, the underlying Greek word for witness is martyr. So w- when Jesus is called the faithful martyr in uh, Revelation chapter 1, 
and, and, and that's what he's calling Paul to, to be a faithful martyr, a faithful witness. So that's Paul's place in the body of Jesus. We've said Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When, God, when we're saved in Jesus Christ, we're cleansed of our sins, we're all considered sons and daughters of God, that we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But then God, the Holy Spirit, places us in the body where he wants us. And for Paul, he's a mouth. He's a herald. He's a preacher. That's, that's what he is. And in addition, part of his preaching ministry is to act as an ambassador. And as an ambassador, he's sent from his king to the people that the king wants him to go to. And then like a herald, he says, I have a word from my king. Thus saith the Lord. And I, I won't reference it. Perhaps in my notes, I'll send them to you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul will say that he is an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes to anyone that God sends him, and this is the language I, I think sometimes professing Calvinists get things a little bit wrong. Maybe they're crossing the line into hyper-Calvinism. The Apostle Paul begs people. He says, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ, be reconciled. Did Paul write about about election and predestination. Of course he did. I mean, Ephesians 1, Revelation, Romans 8 through 9, he, he wrote it. But he begs people, in the name of Jesus Christ, be reconciled. And in that section, he says, we're apostles, we're ambassadors, we're begging you. He says, if anybody is in Christ Jesus, they are a what? They're a new creature. So he's been converted. He's a new creature. If you're converted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a new creature. It was my 36-year wedding anniversary this last Wednesday. And I, I did something. I went to school with it when my wife and I eloped. And her girlfriend came to the courthouse. My friend came to the courthouse. And I reached out to, to this friend that I haven't talked to in 35 years. And I thought, won't this be nice? But it wasn't nice. It was very depressing for me. Because as soon as I got on the phone, immediately he said, without he was trying to be, I guess, funny, you were this. You remember this and remember that. Remember you're this and you're that. And I was not a very nice person before I was converted. And I thought, wow, this is a real bummer. I was all of those things. But I said to him, well, I'm a born-again Christian. And he said, what do you do for a job? I said, I'm, I'm a minister. You're, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not. Beloved, as a Christian, you're not what you were. You, you're not that. If someone said, well, you were Saul. You were the killer of the church. I'm not anymore. I'm Paul. I'm the one who preaches the gospel I tried to destroy. So you, you, you could be all manner of filthy things before you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, you are, are a new creature in Christ. Do you still stumble in sin? Of course. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, such were some of you. You're not that anymore. So if, if you meet people from your past to remind you, you should remind them which is what Paul is doing. I'm not that. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the one who has changed me. So the context is Paul's conversion. He, and then we have his call. Paul says here that he's been elsewhere, that he's been faithful to his call. What we see in our passage is him immediately carrying out the work of his commission. He's been called by Jesus for a particular function, and he has been faithful to that. Now, if you look at verses 19 through 31 and you try to discover certain themes that run through, you have two places being mentioned and three things that are occurring in both of these places. 
One, you're told that Paul's doing something in, where is it, Damascus. So he's in Syria. And then halfway through the passage, he leaves Syria. He actually goes to Arabia, but that's not even really mentioned. Mentioned specifically, it says after many days, that's Arabia. But we have Syria, and then halfway through the passage, he goes to uh, Jerusalem. So he's in uh, Damascus, Syria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and he's doing three things within the passage. We see the Apostle Paul preaching. We see him being persecuted for his preaching. And then we see God preserving his preacher in the midst of his uh, persecution. So all three things are occurring in both Syria and Judea. Preaching, being persecuted for being preached, for his preaching. And then God supernaturally, but using secondary means, meaning he's on the lookout, his friends are on the lookout. God preserves his servant. All three things. And so... What we are considering in this passage is what I just alluded to a little bit. He was the person that prior was a wolf and the Lord Jesus Christ has turned him into a lamb. And he was a persecutor of the church and he says elsewhere, I was a persecutor of the church and now I'm a builder of the church. So you, if you meet a person that is so anti-Christ that it would blow your eyeballs out of your head, don't walk away and say, oh, they've got a one-way ticket to hell. There's no hope for them. The guy who was the biggest Christ hater on the planet ends up being the greatest servant of Jesus on the planet. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. So if you meet a person that's not a Christian, like really not a Christian, they hate Jesus. This is what God can do. We cannot do it, but God can do it. This is part of... um, We talk about the sovereignty of God as reformed people. Mainly we argue over election or we glory in election. Election is a great thing. The sovereignty of God is so much larger than election. God is governing everything, superintending every every molecule to bring his elect to Christ and to conform his elect into the image of Jesus and to usher Christ back in. Everything. So he takes this former wretch turns him into a saint to tell other wretches their salvation for sinners. See, if a person was not a sinner, would they make a good Christian preacher? No. Why not? Because the only people that they're being sent to is other sinners. So only sinners who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ make good preachers to go to other sinners. Jesus will save you. How do you know that? The Bible says it. And here I am. That's the Apostle Paul. So we're looking at that. We see those things. I want to look at those three things. I'm probably going to be top-heavy in the preaching aspect, and then we'll get to the persecution, and then the, um, and then the preservation. But let's look at the preaching. If you look at verse 19 and 20, look at verse 20. 20 says, Immediately he, Paul, Saul, began pro- proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. And so let's say a word about the timing of Paul as a preacher. He comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he's saying in the text. And then a week later, he's a preacher in the pulpit. Now think of that. Now some Christians come here and say, well, there you go. This passage is to be normative in the New Testament epoch. Paul was converted and within a week, he's preaching in the pulpit. And so therefore, what many Christians, some Christians think all that's necessary to be a preacher is 
you are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then within a week you can be the pastor of the church. What do you think of that, beloved? The Bible tells us to be good what? Bereans. It's Acts chapter 17, I want to say around verse 11. And there's something that we as Reformed Christians, I hate to hyphenate Christian, we, we do a thing called the analogy of faith. It's a fancy term that means Scripture interprets Scripture. So an unclear Scripture passage is, is understood or to be understood by a related, clearer passage. So we're to take passages that seem way more clear and we're to, we're to interpret those unclear passages related by that. Does that make sense? So when we come here and say, wow, he was a minister like in a week. He's preaching Jesus publicly in a week. Does that mean that Fred can be converted on a Monday and that that following Sunday he should be your preacher in the church? No. Let's go to the Bible. Let's look at this man who immediately is a preacher because he is. Within a week he's preaching Jesus. How was he called to Jesus Christ? Whammo. Someone said to me the other day, well, this doesn't look the way that we're converted. No, it doesn't look like the way we're converted. He's converted in the beginning of Acts chapter 9. And how is he converted? The risen Lord Jesus Christ himself meets Saul and whammo, converts him instantaneously. So here is this man who is converted extraordinarily by Christ himself. He has visible and audible revelations of Jesus. Jesus, throughout Paul's ministry, is going to meet him and, and personally teach him. So I went to Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Greenville, South Carolina. I had great professors. Paul had Jesus as a professor. Like he, Jesus, risen Jesus, taught him. So we're looking at him as an extraordinary preacher. I mentioned earlier, he's an inspired apostle. I know you can go on TV right now. I've been to places. I've met people that will tell me, hi, my name's Apostle Bob. Okay, Bob. <laughs> Do I believe they're apostles? No, I don't believe they're apostles. Why do I call them apostle? Because I'm being nice. I don't know. They're not apostles. The Bible says there are marks for an apostle. What's one of the marks? You have to be able to raise the dead. Ask Apostle Bob, could you go get my dad out of the ground and my mom out of the ground and then I'll believe you. Guess what they're not doing? They're not raising any dead people. They're not raising any dead people. They're not apostles. He's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to write two-thirds of the Bible. And he's been given miraculous powers. I think Peter's shadow would fall on people or Paul's handkerchief would touch people and they'd be healed. Doesn't he raise the, the kid who falls out of the window dead? He raises him to life like Elijah or Elisha. So, here, so when, when we see Paul converted and then within a week, he's the public preacher, he is the extraordinary case. Does that make sense? So now let's take this idea of when should we have a man preaching Jesus. The ordinary course of events for a public preacher, which is what this guy is, Paul, is, um, what does the Bible say? James 3, verse 1. Not many should be what to be teachers of the word of God. Quick, quick. So it's against the ordinary course of, of, of events that a person is a converted on, on a Monday and he's the preacher on a Sunday. This is against the, the clear, this is ordinary. So Paul's an extraordinary office preacher. Let's look at an ordinary office preacher. The Bible says don't be quick. The, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that for an elder, which is a preacher, teacher, pastor, leader, officer in Christ's church, he can't be a new what? Convert. 
How many new converts in many churches, you're converted on a Sunday uh, afternoon, the next thing you know, hey, could you teach a lesson for us? They do this like kids, like in Christian schools, they'll have like kiddie preaching. This is insane. This is completely insane. What person here would be sick and go to a hospital and the guy said, you know what? I have my 10-year-old son. He's going to give it a shot. And this is going to be Kitty's Sunday for brain surgery today. How's about that? We'd all leave. We would do it for the mechanic. We'd do it for the doctor, the dentist. We'd do it for the lawyer. You would never let some kid do that. But they'll take kids and go, we're going to have Kitty's Sunday preaching. And people do what? They sit there and listen. The kid's clueless. You shouldn't be a new convert. And generally speaking, and why shouldn't you be a new convert and be a preacher? Because the Bible says, if you're a new convert, and the next thing you know you're preaching, what's going to happen to you? Oh. So you've been a Christian 20 years. I've been a Christian half an hour. And I'm up here. Guess who's better than who? (laughs) The Bible says that. It says you're going to be prone to being conceited or prideful. The Apostle Paul gets all this extraordinary revelation and even he is going to be prone to it. And God says, I have a special plan so you won't be proud. What's the special plan? Zingo, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of devil. Who wants to sign up for that? They, They want what they want, but they don't want what God wants. And so if a person is converted and then he's the public preacher right away, he is going to be prone to the snare of the devil and to grow proud. And then as well, as I alluded to, generally babes in Jesus. We're not saying that they're not in Jesus. Don't make good, sound, mature Bible teachers, ministers of the law, ministers of the gospel. Those people should wait until they're more mature. And the scripture will tell us the ordinary course of events of how a man could grow in maturity, in the faith, in wisdom and knowledge, such that he could preach. And it's not rocket science. One, you have to be called by God the Holy Spirit. Two, you have to give yourself. Read 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Give yourself devotedly to the word of God. You study that Bible like nobody's business. And then the scripture says the ordinary course of events for men that are to be the public preacher is their, their gifts are tested by the church. I've been in churches, not Presbyterian churches, a Baptist church. I felt super bad for the guy. He had some neurological, some it wasn't not, not like an emotional problem, but some problem. He could not speak. He couldn't speak. And I couldn't understand him. And people thought, isn't it great that this guy can't speak is a preacher? No, I, I don't know what you're saying. I feel really bad for you. But I, if you, this is your function, the church should be able to say, you are called by God. You have the requisite gifts. You can teach God's word. And then the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the elders of the church lay hands on that person and say, we agree that that God is calling you to, to teach and that the church will be publicly edified. And when those things don't happen and you have new converts immediately being the public preacher, what happens? The Bible says they're clueless. I don't mean to be pick on anybody. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 or 2, I forget which, They talk about the law and they don't know what they're talking about. And then people are doing what? They're writing notes. And what should they do? They should be getting them out of the pulpit. And so when we look at Paul immediately preaching, he's extraordinary. 
and the ordinary course of events as we fleshed out. Let's talk about the content, which is the more important aspect of what he's preaching, is the content of Saul's preaching. Now, anybody that's raised in the church, you'll know this. A lot of preachers do this. I wish I could do it. I was trained to do it this way, but sadly, I, I am not good at it. People are trained to give how many point sermons? <laughs> That's exactly right. It's a three-point sermon. You're supposed to give three-point sermons, and it's all supposed to rhyme like what it's, right? And then so they, they tell you in preaching class, homiletics, is then a person that week is going to drive down the street going, I remember the three Ps. I don't remember the three Ps. I preach it, I don't even remember it. I don't suspect anybody's going to remember the three Ps. But you're told and taught to preach a three-point sermon. Guess what? The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually preaches a three-point sermon, and he's going to do it in three places. And the three-point sermon that he preaches here, I don't think this has to be like rigid. Uh, sometimes I preach one-point sermons and they're just all over the place. But his three-point sermon is this. If you'll look at your passage, he's going to preach on the names of Jesus. He's going to call Jesus, Jesus, his personal name. He's going to call him in Greek, kurios, which means Lord. Not just Lord, under lowercase Lord, but uppercase Lord. He's God. And then he's going to talk about the natures of Jesus. That he's fully human. His name is Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. He's, he's human. But then he says he's son of God. And this is Christian orthodoxy. The name of Jesus, then the natures of Jesus. Fully man, fully God. And then he gets at the offices of Jesus. And he's going to talk about Jesus as the Christ. Christos is in Greek, but it's just, it, in, in, for, the, for the Hebrew, it would be Messiah. So he's anointed. That's what it means. And under that, which is his title, Jesus is not his last, Christ is not his last name, like John Shortman. It's Christ as Messiah. And under that title for office are a number of other truths that are associated with it. He's the anointed prophet, the anointed priest, the anointed king, the anointed mediator. So he does talk about a three-point sermon, the names of Christ, the natures of Christ, and uh, the work of Jesus Christ. Now that's a summary, but let's look at some of the things that we looked at. So he says this Christ or this Jesus early on in our passage. That's important. There are other men named Jesus in the uh, the Bible, at least one that I know of. And obviously Jesus is the transliteration of Greek from the Hebrew. There are other men named Jesus. Not everyone named Jesus is the Jesus that Paul is preaching, obviously. But not so obviously. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, many people are going to come. And they're going to preach a false what to you? A false Jesus. A false Christ. Just because a person says, oh, I believe in Jesus. When I first was converted to Christ, I instantly was evangelical. It was just how God wired me. I ran around and told everybody about Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And, and I would keep talking to you if you said, well, I don't know Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I would keep talking to you. Early on, I would stop and I wouldn't know what to do if they said, but I do believe in Jesus. And you're looking at them like drinking on two-fifths of whiskey and robbing a bank. Like, huh, <laughs> what do I do now? Then I learned to ask, what Jesus do you believe? <laughs> Is it the Jesus of the Bible? Is it the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, born of her yet without sin, who lived a sinless life, who died an atoning death? No, not that Jesus. You see what I'm getting at. So he's preaching a particular Jesus, and then he, he, when, when he 
is, is preaching this particular Jesus, he gets, to the, he gets to this phrase, son of God. We're sons and daughters of God, but not the way that he, this is being referred to. 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is a messianic title, but it's more. And this is going to separate true Christians from not true Christians. In the preaching of this Jesus, he says, I'm talking about a particular Jesus, and this Jesus that I'm preaching that has changed me is God. This is messianic, but he's getting at not only is Jesus human, a real human. I'm studying the Lutheran view of of Christ's presence. And they have a a particular view on the ubiquitous presence of Christ, which I can't quite understand. I'm not going to pick on them, but I I can't understand it. Jesus has a real body. It has real locality. It's at the right hand of the Father. Where that is, I don't know. But he has a real body and a real soul. He's a real human being. But Christian orthodoxy, the Bible teaches all the New Testament, the Jesus that we believe in is God. Saul Paul is not walking around as my Unitarian family believes. Oh, Jesus is a swell guy. Jesus is just a really interesting, nice person. That's not what he's preaching. And that's not why Jesus got killed. Jesus said, before Abraham was what? I am. And all of the Jews who knew Greek and Hebrew better than us said what? You just said you're Jehovah. He uses in Greek, ego ami, I am that I am. And they said, we have to kill you. You just said that you're Jehovah come in the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I have, I have a Jesus to preach to you, but he is fully human and fully divine. He's fully God. And the fancy term for that is hypostatic union. It is Jesus has two natures in one person since the incarnation forevermore. How does that work? I don't have any idea. But the Bible says it. And that's what Paul is preaching. And Paul's going to be persecuted for saying Jesus is more than a prophet. He is God come in the flesh. I'm going to read something to you. Philippians 2. I'll send this out in the notes. Have this attitude in yourself, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the essence of Jesus. And here's the reconciliation. Usually, our, our, our Arians will say, well, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. That's essence. The Father is greater than I. It's Jesus referring to himself as a mediator. So one, as far as his essence, the other has to do with his work. That's the reconciliation. But the Bible also says this, Hebrews 1 and 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, I've got Jesus to preach to you. And he's God come in the flesh. God, God come in the flesh. That's why we're Trinitarian. Shema O Israel. There's one God. We don't believe in three gods. I know my Hindu family think that we believe in three gods because they don't understand the Trinity. That's not my problem. Shema O Israel. The Lord thy God is one God. But the one God consists in three persons. Again, miraculously. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. And here's Paul coming and preaching that. He doesn't reconcile it so people go, well, I completely understand that. No, you don't completely understand it. But it's true. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? John 1.1. Luther's favorite verse. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
John chapter 7, I alluded to the I am statements. How many I am statements does Jesus make? Just so everybody gets what he's saying in John's gospel. Seven of them. Think of them. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm, I'm the bread of life. John 6, one of my favorites. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am, I am, I am. And every Jew is hearing him saying, Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And Jesus says, here I am. See, that's the message that we have. Paul says, I was a wolf and now I'm a lion. Well, who did that? Just a holy prophet? No, Elijah never did stuff like this. No, no prophet ever spoke like Jesus. Jesus not only has divine names, he has divine works. What was one thing that Jesus said about himself that really got him in hot water? Get up, pick up your mat, walk, and your what are forgiven. And the Jews said what? You can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus doubles down. Jesus forgives sins. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Jesus is the creator of the world. Jesus is the sustainer of the world. Jesus is given names. God. Thomas says, I'm never going to believe that he's risen from the dead unless I see him. And Jesus says, here I am, Thomas. And Thomas says, my Lord, Koryos, and my Theos. God. So Jesus has divine names. He has divine works. He's the creator of the world, the sustainer. He forgives sins. He has divine attributes, all power, all authority. He's the judge of heaven and earth. And Jesus receives worship. If Jesus was not God, the way that Paul is preaching, and he received worship, it was not, um, who is the guy? Jesus is Lord, liar, lunatic. Oh, the popularizer of that. It will come to me. It was a Greek guy in the year 300. It wasn't the guy that I'm thinking of in my library. Oh, it'll come to me. But it was an early church father. You just can't patronize Jesus and say, well, he's just a swell guy. You don't get that option. Because Paul's coming along and Jesus came along and said, he's God come in the flesh. He takes sin away. You can't just say he's a swell guy. You have to say, he's either a liar. He knows he's not God. He's lying to you. He's evil. Or he's a lunatic. He thinks he's God and he isn't. He's out of his mind. Or he's Lord, which is what Paul calls him. And then the, 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 the only right response is what? <laughs> Thou son of David, have mercy. So the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. I, I know you think, well, this is doctrine. This is going to separate us from the rest of the world. That's exactly right. This is exactly right. I have a person in my family who's a Unitarian. They deny. They think Jesus is just a swell guy. And she said to me, this is, this is the way that it is, John. I believe in Jesus like I believe in my husband, and I love Jesus like I love my husband, but I don't worship my husband. And I said, here's the deal. Your husband's not God. Jesus is God. And that's the one he's preaching. And it's God come in the flesh. And so Paul, God, God's man's busy preaching that. And he calls Jesus the Christ. As I said, this is just the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. Same thing. It means anointed. And in Jesus Christ, he's the anointed prophet. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18. God says to Moses, I'm going to raise up another prophet like you. 18, verses 15 through 18. He says, everyone has to listen to him. And the person that does not listen to this new prophet, this greatest prophet, I'm I'm going to hold him to account. Remember Jesus at Jesus' baptism? Is it um, Matthew 3? 
remember at the transfiguration, Matthew 17? This is my beloved son, what? Listen to him. He is that final prophet that reveals the will of God to us. So he's the anointed prophet. He is King Jesus. When is Jesus king? When did the wise men bring gifts to him? (laughs) He's king at his birth. He's king. That's why Herod wanted to kill him. He's king at his birth. He veiled his kingly glory to save us. And he's king right now. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the priest. He, this is why I don't, I don't believe in earthly priests. I'm not a priest. I'm a preacher. I preach the priest, Jesus. This is a Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. And then when Paul tells the synagogue, Jesus is the Christ. He's the mediator. And you know how many mediators there are between God and man? If you don't think there are, those are fighting words for people that believe in media, media, other mediators, those are fighting words. I prayed to another mediator my entire life. St. Patrick was my patron saint. I prayed personally, myself, to St. Patrick thousands and thousands and thousands of times. St. Patrick, help me. St. Patrick, I'm in a jam. St. Patrick, help me. You think people don't have other mediators? Oh, yeah, they do. I did. Lots of people have lots of other mediators, other ways to go to God. Look at, the, look at the multitude of religions. I'm going to go to my God this way. I'm going to go to my God that way. And Paul comes along and says, guess what? There's one. This is why people get fighting mad. People don't get fighting. You're not going to get persecuted if you say, you know what? There's good stuff in your religion and there's good stuff in my religion. There's many ways to go to heaven. It's all okay. Guess what? <laughs> Paul comes along and says he's the only mediator. In Christ, God comes down to man. In Christ, man goes up to God. He's Joseph's ladder. Even Jesus talks about this in John 1, John 2. Jesus is Joseph's ladder. God coming down, man ascending. Because Jesus has both natures. And and, and he he preaches this, Jesus. And I, I do want you to see I feel sometimes bad in my preaching because I preach about Jesus a lot, probably every sermon. And I've been told, can you mix it up a little bit? Um, I can. I I preach through books, so I want to preach what's in the book. And the person I'm thinking of is like, well, can we do crown financial? Can we do finances and teach people how to have good bank accounts? No. <laughs> no, we can't. I don't see it in the Bible. Maybe we could have it on the side. I, I don't know. Are there other subjects that the Bible talks about? Yeah. Think of the Pauline epistles. He talks about the right administration of church government, which is the, the pastorals to Timothy and Titus. He talks about, here's one people love, what about the relationship of the, the Christian to the state? This is a, a Romans chapter 13. He talks about that. He talks about women in worship and head covering and all of these things. He talks about all of those things. Are those things the focus of Paul's ministry? Yes or no? What's the focus of his ministry? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, those other things are true. The Holy Spirit has inspired them, but they're secondary or tertiary, and you always see them in relationship with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Husbands, love your wives as... Fill, fill, fill out the rest. 
Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Even the Romans 13, when I talked about the Christian's relationship to the state. Why should I obey Caesar? Some of you guys voted for Joe Biden. Some of you guys didn't vote for Joe Biden. Why should we all pray for Joe Biden as a Christian, whether you voted for him or not? Because God tells us to. Who put Joe Biden in office ultimately? Ultimately, who did? Who put, who put Pharaoh in office ultimately? We don't know for good or bad, but who ultimately did it? God says for Pharaoh, for this reason, Pharaoh, forget about Joe Biden. For this reason, Pharaoh, I raised you up. So the reason the husbands are loved the wives is because as unto Christ. And the reason that the, the wives submit to the husband is unto Christ. So even the secondary things, baptism, the way that we relate to the church, is they're all attached to our Christology, to our understanding of Jesus. And I want you to think of this. The guys that Jesus is preaching to, excuse me, Paul's preaching to, are they Christians or not Christians? Both in in Syria and and Jerusalem. They're not Christians. Let's just say this. You come into a congregation. You're the the traveling preacher. They're all unbelievers. Let's say my family, my my wife's family says, okay, come to the Hindu temple and we're going to let you preach one sermon at the Hindu temple. We're going to gather all the Hindu people around. We're going to let you preach one sermon to us, John. You got one shot. And let's just say I came and go, you know what? I'll do a sermon on um, the right response, submission to authority. I preach a sermon on submission to authority, which of course is the basis of the fifth commandment. And I preach the greatest sermon on on the fifth commandment that anyone could do. What have I done for those Hindu people? I met them unconverted and I left them unconverted. The fifth commandment, the moral law is not the gospel. And actually, I haven't said anything about Jesus. I haven't told them about the one that can save them from their sin and I've left them in a worse position. We sometimes worry about the poor guy in a cave in Zimbabwe and we think, what about him? That's not really the person that we should totally, totally, totally worry about. That's why we send missionaries. The person that's in the deepest weeds is the person sitting in a Bible church and doesn't believe a thing. because they're more culpable. So the moment I say to the Hindu, here's what the fifth commandment really requires, they're under a greater obligation, greater judgment. But the law is not the gospel. There's a famous guy, I won't tell you his name. People buy his books and do his super school and all this other stuff. He literally says, the law is the gospel. Beloved, that is insane. It, 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 The law is not the gospel. The law is a tutor, Galatians chapter 3, to bring us to the gospel. And so the only way that we meet Jesus savingly is when we talk about him in the gospel. And Jesus, God the Holy Spirit summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, as the cross. This is why Paul says, I suffered and knew nothing but the cross. Did he know other things? He wrote two-thirds of the Bible, the New Testament. What is he absorbed with? The cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ is how we're reconciled. Let's just say we persuade liberals. Let's suppose I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative. Political. Let's say we persuade political liberals to become political conservatives. But they're not Christians. Then what? 
the political liberals and the political conservatives who are not Christians are going to spend eternity together. Paul's job, I'm not talking about other guys' job. If you're a politician, have at it. Or if you're an amateur politician or you're an amateur whatever, have a field day. Paul's job is to do what? He's a preacher. Sometimes preachers lose their opportunity to tell people about Jesus because they talk about other things. And they offend people in other things. I myself have failed in this many times. I have a sister I love madly. I have two sisters, but I love them both madly. Both flaming liberals. Political. And we were engaged in a discussion one time. And it got heated. Not on my end. And my mother was still alive. We got in the car. She said, John, I wish that never happened. I was always on the verge of tears. Who was I not talking about? Jesus. Who cares about who cares about what I... I'm a minister. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but my whole job, Paul's whole job, is to be a walking, talking. Christ will save you. Christ will save you. And, and we, we do, Christians. We lose our opportunity. We start fighting and squawking about other things. And look who's in front of you. You may have an unbeliever. You're going to talk politics in front of an unbeliever. You're a believer. And you're going to get in a fight about politics with an unbeliever. How silly is that? We're wasting our time. That's why Paul tells Timothy, don't become a minister for sure, regular Christian, a Christian, I think. Don't become absorbed at the everyday life. If you have a job, do it. And, and we see two responses. I told you I'd be way top heavy. <laughs> Let's talk about the persecution. So he's preaching Jesus. He preaches Jesus in Syria. And then he preaches Jesus in Damascus. Well, he's preaching to two entities, synagogues of Jews. He'll preach Jesus in Syria to Jews and to, to, to Judea and Jews. And then later in the book, we're going to see he's going to preach to Gentiles. But he preaches Jesus to everyone. Jew or Gentile. Why? Why? We divide all over the place. Human beings love to divide. And the way that we love to divide is my division is better than your division. Don't kid yourself. This is how we do it. My folks came over on the Mayflower. Big deal, they were in chains. They still came over on the Mayflower. Like, we love to divide. I'm, I have this amount of melanin. You don't have this amount of melanin. I have this much education. You have less education. Divide, 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 divide. And we think, like, oh, this is a big deal. Paul says, when I go to the Jew, I have one message. Let me tell you about Jesus. He says, when I go to the Gentile, I have another. To the weak, I become weak. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the Gentile, I become a Gentile. Everybody gets the same message. You know, we're not that different. We're not that different. What do the people in Zimbabwe who don't know Jesus need? The people in India, the people in China, the people in Afghanistan, the people in Pensacola. This is what everyone needs. I don't even have... You say, well, you don't know these people. Yeah, I do know them. Yeah, if they're not Christians, I totally do know them. What do you mean you know them? They're fallen in their sin. And they're standing before a holy God. And they need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give them. Remember, we're talking a minister. We're not talking a guy who has another calling. And Paul doesn't hyphenate all of these places. I don't, there's some ministers, there's a movement. I, should I say it? Yeah, they're kinism, the movement's kinism. The black ministers to go to black people. The white ministers would go to white people. The Irish ministers go to Irish people. This is so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. 
The saved minister is to go to people that don't know Jesus, and he's supposed to tell everybody. That's what Paul does, because that's what they need. And we're going to see that when you share the real Jesus, there's always a response. Verse 31 is the good response. They, the same gospel will produce two different responses depending upon the heart that receives it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Either Jesus is the aroma of what to those busy being saved? The aroma of life. And they love it. Oh, I can't get enough of Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus. And they love it. They receive it. But the other response that people give to the real preaching of the real Jesus is they hate it like nobody's business because it's the aroma of what to them? And in the preaching of the gospel, the presentation of Jesus, there's only two responses. And everyone responds in one of two ways. There's either yes, I love Jesus, I believe this, yes, or no, I don't. The maybe is a no. Let me say that again. The maybe is a no. Agnostics agnostics are a no. Atheists are a no. There's only yes or no. Jesus is Lord and Savior, forgive me, or no, he isn't. And Paul does something to get himself in real hot water. Look at verse 22 and so on. Not only is he ministering Jesus and getting this persecuting response is he's confounding those who oppose his preaching. He's debating with them. Look at verses 27 and 28. He's boldly preaching Jesus. He's not being shy or timid or tepid. And look at verse 29. He's talking or arguing or debating. Now this is where even some well-meaning Christians get it wrong. They'll say things like this. Well, you can tell people about Jesus, but you can't ever tell them that they're wrong. You can share your faith, but you can't say, you, if they differ, you can't say that they're wrong. And you shouldn't ever debate. And you shouldn't ever pull your Bible out and say, well, the Bible says that's wrong. You should never do that. You should share only as far as they let you. And then if they don't, you should be polite and go away. Maybe for you as a bricklayer, that's true, but not for the preacher. He's arguing with them. You see, we want, to be, we want to be biblical Christians. Arguing with the Bible, zealously, as we're told in the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, with zeal, is legit. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. The early disciples did it. But being ugly or obnoxious is not legitimate. And there's a difference. Why would he boldly say to them, Jesus is the Christ, believe in him and be saved. And why does he prove, try to prove from scripture? That the reason they're persecuting them is because he's telling them they're wrong. And that's right. And you think, well, you don't love them. No, he does love them. He does love them. If you had a family member with cancer and you told your family member, you have cancer, and the family member said, you're really depressing me. Can you stop that? Okay, Buttercup, I love you so much. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna tell you the bad news. You don't love them. You absolutely do not love them. We see by this persecution, Jesus got it right. You're gonna be persecuted. If a man wants to be a preacher and he doesn't wanna be persecuted for preaching Jesus, he should get another job. 
I want you to, I want you to read. I want to read to you a couple of quotes. He is unworthy. These are quotes on ministers. He is unworthy of the name of a minister of the gospel of peace who is not only unwilling to have his name cast out as evil, but also to die for the truth of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this next one. This is what Paul is getting. It is a poor sermon that gives no offense, that neither makes the hearer displeased with himself nor with the preacher. One more. This is my favorite one on preachers. This is the minister speaking after his preaching. I was honored today with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cat thrown at me. You know who wrote that? George Whitfield, the greatest evangelist next to the Apostle Paul, in my view, on the planet. So if a man says, I want to be a preacher, but I just don't want people to be mad at me, you need to get another job. Part of the calling is we're sent to people that hate God and hate Christ, and what are we to say to them? But God is a loving God, and he has made a way that in Christ is Jesus, his Savior, he'll, he'll save you. This is exactly what happened to Paul. Paul was in the process of hating Christ, and Saul saved him. So, beloved, if someone says, I hate you for preaching Christ to you, check yourself. Are you doing it ugly in an inoffensive manner? And you should change if you are. But if you're doing it out of love to God and love to them and faithfulness to the gospel, keep going. And then with the preservation, we learn very briefly, they try to kill him in Syria. They try to kill him in Jerusalem. And what happens? George Whitfield, another, another quote by George Whitfield, he said this, and this is true for all Christians, and I'm going to quit. He said, until our divinely appointed work on earth is done, we are immortal. Until our divinely appointed work on earth is done, we're immortal. They weren't going to kill the Apostle Paul in Syria. They weren't going to kill him in Jerusalem. Why? Because God said he was going to die in Rome. That's why. The day of our death, the way of our death, belongs to our Lord. We have life to serve him. The minister has life to continue to preach. And the moment that man's work is over, he goes to be with the Lord. And God preserves his people through it all. And at the very end, we see, you think, well, all all this contention, all of this preaching Jesus, all of this persecution, what happens to the church? It grows. It grows. And they experience the blessing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How does the church now grow? You have to have kung fu class, blow up clowns, free beer, weightlifting, all of that. Is that this? Is that verse 31? Is it the preaching of Jesus that fills the place up? No. If you preach Jesus, what's going to happen to all the people who came for the kung fu? They're leaving. But that's not the Bible. It's the preaching of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, you either entertain goats or you feed sheep. And we had a man in this pulpit that said the problem with getting a person in the church with goat food is you have to keep giving it to them. Why have we come? What Christ have we come to? Is it the sin bearer? Have we come to worship this Jesus? And we're being taught he will preserve us even to the end of the world. What a glorious truth. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.